Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Scott Stenman Podcast. We are so excited uh, to be joining you today. I believe this is episode 150. 150 episodes already recorded. Not all of them are on this uh, backlog once we switched our thing over to Podbean, but that's okay. We're at 150 now, and we are excited to discuss our topic today. But first, let me introduce you to the man, the myth, the legend, Micah Current. How are you doing today? Man, I don't. That's funny you say that because um, every time I go to my chiropractor's office, the when when Doctor Brickner walks in, he's like the man, the myth, the legend, and he refers to me as that. And I'm like, uh, I feel like only one of those are true, which is I'm a man, but I don't know about a myth or a legend. So uh, mm-hmm. it would would be you know a legend, but you know maybe in other people's eyes I am. But I'm doing well. Uh, how are you? I'm doing well. It's been, I had a long week. Last week was my doctorate week. So a lot of sitting in class, a lot of discussions, did a lot of case studies. So it was interesting. We had a book that we did pulled case studies from, but then we had to do like three personal case studies from our own ministry context and present them for the class to discuss. And whoo boy, lots, lots of stuff. So good conversations, lots of stuff, lots of weird stories in ministry too um so yeah more more writing material for your book coming out in 2035 so my book or your book well i guess it's gonna be both of our books now <laughs> it's a joint book and really all it's gonna be is a transcript of all the scott Simmons podcasts in one volume now if we could get we some will sell it on logos.com digital version you need so to uh... when they study they can look at it we need to find somebody to publish us, though. Oh, I, I I can. Well, I have to get published anyway for my doctorate anyway, so I'll I'll find a publisher and I'll. And then you know what? The one case study book we had was very dated, uh, very outdated because a lot of the case studies, some of them are relevant, but there are some where they talked about, you know, the ongoing AIDS crisis, and I'm thinking, yeah, like a little bit of the. Right. Yeah, this is definitely like 80s, maybe published in the 90s if they're kind of writing about it in the thick in the in the thick of it. And then it actually gets published a couple of years later. So, yeah, very even the cover looked dated too. like it looked like a book that came out like in the 80s or the 90s. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe you and I will be writing new case studies <laughs> and presenting them so they'll be offered in doctorate level learning. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Yeah. So let's talk about um, weird stories that have happened. So, um, Micah, you got a weird story for us this week? Anything strange tickle your head or experience you had? I I don't know if it was weird as much as uh, right before we started recording. I told you that I I know that you before I started recording with you regularly uh, did a series on the rise and fall of mars hill uh mm-hmm. podcast and talked about that and really broke that down um i had never listened to that mm. um and my wife uh went to work this morning and she texted me she's like have you ever listened to that and she was like you know i guess she had started listening to it yesterday or on the way to work today or something but she's mm. like have you listened to that and i was like no and i was like what do we uh where are you at and she's like i'm only listening to one but if you want to listen to one we'll listen to it together so like I listened to episodes one and two today and I, and I, the weird, and not necessarily the weird thing that happened to me, but the, it was just so, um, 
parallel to some of the experiences that I've had and some of the ministries that I've worked in. And um, man, a lot of, lot of uh, trauma, a lot of uh, scraping of the the knees, uh, open mm. woundedness kind of came of that. And, uh, you know, not to get too far down a rabbit hole because you've already done a series on this, but um, <laughs> one of the quotes I took from, from that uh, series uh, in the very first episode was, quote, you have to ask bigger questions, questions about a church that tolerated and enabled that behavior for years. Mm. And I was just like, there are so many churches out there that tolerate bad behavior. And I think one of my, um, I guess, mission statements, if you want to call it, that is uh, we don't need to reward bad behavior. And that includes in leadership. So, um, yeah, it was just very eye-opening for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, humbling at the same time, because it's like, yeah, I've been through some of that. Not to the degree of like Mars Hill and, and or Driscoll. Was it Driscoll? Yeah, Driscoll. Mm-hmm. Um, not to, to the degree of Driscoll, but like I've worked with with pastors that are that are like that, and um, it's sad that they're allowed to remain in leadership. So it wasn't yeah. necessarily weird, but it was uh, more so eye opening for me. So. Well, actually, kind of the interesting thing is there's a um, guy in my class during my doctorate week. He's actually going to be moving to Oregon to do, to do a church playing there. So he's been doing like a lot of uh, home churches in the Arizona area. And he also teaches at Grand Canyon university as a um, chaplain. And he teaches some things and there've been some times where they've discussed, had conversations and actually Mark Driscoll's son has sat in some of those classes and people were discussing the events of Mars Hill. Like, really, <laughs> and, and he was just like, and, he, and every time he kept saying, are you okay with this? Like to his, to Mark's son and he's like yeah I'm fine with it and, and they would have conversations on it and I'm thinking wow that's that's pretty intense because obviously his son would have probably been like because now Mark's actually Mark Mark's actually in the Phoenix area now has a church there in Phoenix that he's doing so um the fact that his son was probably maybe older elementary or even just like a teen when all that went down so now he's in college and and people are asking questions about hey we listen to this podcast so well yeah, if he was if he, enough, probably didn't uh you know remember a lot of it maybe he was yeah on it. yeah absolutely yeah oh goodness so my weird thing's definitely not as um related to that my weird thing is i noticed where I live now in Bexley there probably even before October hit, I noticed people started getting out their Halloween decorations and, you know, in Virginia, there'd be occasionally someone who would decorate their house for Halloween. But for the most part, besides like putting pumpkins on porches or maybe putting like a, like some fall things, you know, not really a lot of stuff happening. But I'm noticing like scary things like big old spiders and spider webs, tombstones. There was one where it looked like a skeleton wasn't buried all the way. So you see like a head and arm and a leg coming out of the ground. We just saw that today. And my kids thought it was like the funniest thing. Um, Some others, they have like clowns and demons and witches. So really going the town with the Halloween decorations. And so thinking, oh, okay, it'd be very interesting to see what happens around 
the holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving. So I kind of was mentioning it to somebody at church yesterday, and they said, yeah, if there's one thing you want to know about Bexley, everyone goes all out on Halloween, but barely anybody does any decorating around Christmas time. And I go, oh, that's interesting. And they go, yeah, because since Bexley has such a large, affluent Jewish population, and my son was off school for Yom Kippur last week, that people don't want to offend anybody's religion. So instead of decorating for like Christmas or decorating for Hanukkah, not many families in the in the area do. And I just thought, well, that's weird because we're, you know, we have two, we have churches, we have Christians. We have three synagogues here in Bexley. Uh, Capital University is also the home of Trinity uh, Lutheran Seminary. So you have a lot of religious religious organizations in this tiny little town, and yet no one wants to decorate for Christmas, decorate for the holidays because they're afraid to offend anybody. But we're okay putting decapitated clouds and serial killers and witches in our yards so we're not okay putting a putting any type of um dreidels or christmas trees in our yards so what you're saying scott is they're not going to film a hallmark christmas movie in your neighborhood or if they do it's probably going to be like a romantic comedy this That's lady beautiful. is a Jew, and this man's a Christian, is a, is a Catholic priest, and they fall in love in Bexley, and they don't know how to decorate because so they decapitate pumpkins in the, their front yard. Yeah. I'm going to have to write that script to come up with a clever title, like Shalom Christmas Time. <laughs> Oh, but that's weird. But hey, I, I like the Halloween decorations. I like seeing the creativity in that too. So, <laughs> but that's not what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, we're not going to talk. Yeah, usually we make some weird segue into our weird story to what we're talking about. And, and I and think Mike is just probably a better segue. <laughs> Well, with Halloween being such a short few weeks away, <laughs> we're not going to talk about Halloween. We're actually going to talk no. about what we talked about at the top of the episode, Scott, when you were at your uh, your doctor program, kind of related to that, but education and ministry. So, yes, mm -hmm. that's our topic for today. <laughs> yeah, education and ministry. So, kind of the big thing. So, you as the listeners can follow along. We're going to kind of talk about you know the idea of seminary education. Um, the importance of it or is it important and then we're also going to kind of tie that into ordination as well so micah what are some of your thoughts as far as seminary education or i guess i guess we could even go back down to bible college yeah. bible college to seminary education to doing a doctorate program or doctorate of divinity you know whatever the case may be so i'll let you kind of start from there like is having Christian education important, especially when it goes comes to serving in ministry? Yeah, so I think I texted you this uh, in the middle of last week and thought it would be a good topic. And I think that uh, mainly you can look at it a couple of different ways, right? You can look at it through the lens of like, okay, like you're saying with Bible college, some people can go to Bible college and not get 
a religious degree at mm-hmm. all. Um, they can go to Bible college and get, you know, a, a degree in business or a degree in marketing or communications uh, and just go for the experience of going to a Christian college. No different than if they went to a Christian high school or a Catholic high school or, you know, a parochial school, K through high school, you know, or K through senior in high school. Um, uh, seminary is a whole other ball game because you're going to school specifically for that. And then, you know, you can either do the master's level or the doctorate level or both, uh, depending on your aspirations. Uh, and then we kind of wanted to talk a little bit today about ordination and how that kind of ties into the experience of uh, employment and the church and the local church and like how do churches go about, you know, hiring staff based on experience Uh and you could break that down to a number of tiers, right? Like if I'm hiring a, a video production person, uh, they may not, they may not, they may not have, excuse me, have any aspirations whatsoever to get ordained. They may not have aspirations to go to seminary. They may not even go to Bible college. They may have just went to school. Uh, they, they, you know, they could have went to Capital University or they could have went to the University of Cincinnati and they've got a degree in communications and marketing um, and have no, no, uh, desire to do the other uh as far as lead pastors are concerned uh, scott and you and i've had different conversations but like you know is it necessary to be educated is it not uh so we i don't know i don't know where you want to start with that but like you know we there's just a number of directions that you could go with that so like what are your thoughts i mean i know that you're in a phd program right now but like for example we talked about right before we started recording, you're at a church right now and you're doing like family life stuff. Is that correct? Is that like family ministries? Yeah. Family, family ministry. So like, are you doing children and youth? Like kind of, both? I'm doing children, youth, and then also trying to create some opportunities for parents, resources for parents to be able to get together and, and do ministry as well with each other. So that's kind of, so I'm kind of hitting basically the family unit. So everything that's tied to a family, I'm kind of the guy. Scott, you want to start a program or a, a production company called Focus on the Family? <laughs> that was a bad joke. That was just <laughs> no. No, you don't. Okay, no, um, no. Because like, there's already one out there in Colorado. Yeah. So my point in that maybe is... maybe my ministry would be called Planned Parenthood. <laughs> <laughs> Focused on the Planned Parenthood. There you go. We'll combine the two and really yes. get everybody mad at me. <laughs> but yeah, so let's. So no, yeah, like, I, yeah. Go ahead, sorry, Micah. I was, what I was going to say though is like your your area of ministry, like you know, like you don't need a, a master's degree and you know a divinity, or you don't need a doctorate of ministry to do what you're doing. You're doing a PhD program now, a DMIN. But like, I asked you before we started recording today, and I said. Is that going to change your your pay structure? And yeah. you said probably not. Uh, but like, my response to that was, you know, does that does it change your mind in the current assignment? And you said probably not either. However, yeah. um, it, it's it's interesting that like, you know, and I also said this before we started recording, but like, our parents pushed us so hard to go to college and get an education. It was like the American dream to go to college and get an education. And if you get an education, um, you're going to make more money. And like, that's not really the case. Like I know mm-hmm. people that didn't go to college or didn't finish college. You're going to make more money than I am. And I 
went to undergrad and seminary and got ordained and I'm back in grad school now. And, you know, I, I may make, make more money down the line, but it, it's not everything it's cracked up to be. Right. So like, I guess where, where, where do you want to start with this? Like, I don't, do you think hmm. it's, it's necessary to have education to, to be in certain prominent positions in the church? Uh, so I guess if we're talking about, so I'll talk about, you know, originally when I got this position, they weren't really looking for someone who was a pastor. And by their definition of pastor was someone who is trained, someone who has at least a master's degree or at least has been through seminary or, or someone who's been ordained. So that was kind of their criteria. It just so happened that they saw my skills and my talents and they thought, hey, we want this person to be in this role. And that was that. So cool. Great. Thumbs up. That's wonderful. Um, where I kind of look at education is do I think it's necessary to hold any position? I don't necessarily think so. Like, I don't think what I think how where education helps is it really helps give you the tools and the training to be able to get in and really start your job on the ground running and be able to do a lot of great work without a lot of turbulence in that transition. So let's say you go to Bible college and you go and you study ministry with a focus on children's ministry. You want to be a children's pastor. You know, there's a lot of things that you're probably going to learn. That's going to really help you navigate children's ministry. You're probably going to understand child behavior, how to deal with various child behavior from like kids who may be in broken homes and some of the things they go through to kids who may have some type of disability, such as autism or down syndrome that may be and how do you navigate a classroom or a culture within that group to make sure that everybody's loved and accepted and be able to hit certain learning things so they can learn about the love of Jesus Christ. Do you need to have a degree for that? No, because I mean, I know a lot of people who do a lot of most churches don't have the luxury of having a full-blown children's pastor. So it's volunteers and they're buying curriculum and they're trying to do their best by learning from other people. If they buy like orange curriculum, they're, there's probably like a training video that they're watching and they're trying to help learn how to do all these things. Um, where I think a lot of times where education is vital is when it comes to if you are going to be a lead pastor or if you're going to be an executive pastor. Uh, somebody who's over going to be C or a teaching pastor. And I say that because when it comes to proclaiming the word of God, I believe that you must be diverse and trained and to understand the book that so many people look to, to how to live their lives. And if it's, so you have to go through, okay, how do I answer some of these rough questions? tough questions that people have. How do I exegete a text? You know, is it important for me to learn the Hebrew and the Greek? You know, before I went to seminary, I thought, eh, no. Now it's like, actually just yesterday, we went through the book of Ehud and the story of Ehud and Judges, and I started pulling out some Hebrew and started really breaking some of the stuff down and 
the kids were really fascinated with kind of the things I was pulling out. And I think that's important because you can really get to a point within ministry where you could have a pastor who could come, maybe have no seminary education, no training, and they're preaching the word of God. And they're preaching it based on their own view or their own opinion or their own interpretation of the text without having any of that background knowledge. And it's very easy to exegete a text instead of exegeting it, which basically, for those who don't know those two words, basically is basically you're putting your own views and your own thoughts and you're kind of making the word of God And you're basically pulling the word of God and kind of shaping your own point of view versus your point of view being shaped by the word of God by actually studying the text and knowing what it's talking about and understand everything. Um, And I mean, I know some people who have had pastors who they have taken the text out of context to fit their own personal agendas, and it has caused some damage. At the same time, I know pastors who have had a great education and they preach the word of God and the exegete. And then they have those questions. Well, wait a minute. The last pastor didn't teach us that. They said this. I'm like, well, here, here's all this information. Here's this resource. And, it, and in a way, they almost kind of have like this crisis of faith. It's like, I was told this is how we view this passage. And now you're giving me all these tools. This Hebrew, this Greek, this these commentaries, you're giving me all this stuff. And now... I'm having a conflict because I've used to believe that all this is going on. So sometimes there's pushback. We're going, well, you're wrong pastor, because I was taught this from all these other pastors. And now you're coming and saying something different because you're using Hebrew and Greek and stuff. And it's, and it's very challenging. It's very hard. So I think for me, if we want to really equip our churches and disciple our church as well, I think if you're going to be a pastor or a teaching pastor or a, di- a discipleship pastor, you really have to have a good education on the Bible, on the ancient languages, and kind of do your job to the best of your ability. And I think in some ways that's kind of, you know, I think of it as the parable of the 10 talents. You're taking something, you're investing it, you're doing something, and then you're getting, you know, double your portion. Where if I go and I say, oh, okay, I have this gift now, God's giving me this opportunity to speak, but I'm just going to bury it in the ground and not invest in it to be a better pastor, go to conferences, do that, then what am I doing? Am I going to be called wise or blessed or I'm going to be called wicked? Yeah. Um, so a couple of things. Um, yeah. As a creative arts guy, um, you know, I went to seminary. I didn't go to undergrad for my experience is a little bit different. Like, because as a creative arts pastor, worship pastor, leader, um, my training, my skill set comes from the background of music. Um, and I did my undergraduate, you know, degrees in music performance, right? So, like, I've been playing music since I was four years old. You know, I had been classically trained all my life and pursued that degree in college and then felt like God was calling me to seminary. However, um, when I got to seminary, it was more of what you're talking about with the exegetical uh, writing of papers and really breaking down the Bible and what it means and why. Mm-hmm. Um, but the formality of it all, um, Scott, is that 
when I studied worship ministry and leadership in seminary, I didn't, I wasn't taught how to use ProPresenter. I wasn't taught how to mm-hmm. do live streaming. I wasn't taught how to do live or uh, live audio, uh, sound, mixing, um, video editing, social media, marketing, graphic design. All of those things are self-taught and I've had to learn on the fly over the last 10 years of my life because seminary wasn't going to teach me that. Um in respect to the lead pastor role, I can look at it, look at it both ways, right? One, uh, yes, you want to be educated to the best of your ability so that you can teach people and proclaim the word of God on a weekly basis and write 52 sermons a year and small group curriculum and, and other, um, you know, maybe you're writing a book for, for leadership, or maybe you're writing a book for the, the, uh, the church that you're affiliated with or, or whatever, right? So you want to be able to communicate that effectively and as well as you possibly can right so but on the flip side of that there's a generation of people that are older than we are scott who don't have the education or have the opportunity to get the education that we do i don't think my dad has a bachelor's degree i think Mm. my dad has a high school diploma and a certificate in ordination like that's all the further that he got in respect to uh education Mm. so you know, what do I say to him? He's been preaching for 35 years. And, you know, as far as I understand it, he does a pretty good job of it because, you know, he's still doing it and he's not giving that up. So um, there are others that I know that have had little to no education, but have been pastors and served in lead pastor roles for 30 plus years. So, yeah, there, there's, you know, you know, I share that about my dad, but I, I know of others that have, you know, shared in ministry uh, for the last 30 plus years, a generation ahead of us uh, that have served in lead pastor roles, senior pastor roles, executive pastor roles, and they have a high school diploma and they have a, a certificate of ordination or leadership. And that's all the education that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know that you're pursuing a, a DMN. I have no desire to get a PhD. I'm working on a master's program right now to further myself in higher education because that's a field I feel um I'm succeeding in at the moment and I have a, a steady path to retirement and a steady path to, you know, benefits mm-hmm. and uh, a great place to work and X, Y, Z. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm pursuing that route and doing ministry on the side versus mm-hmm. uh, pursuing yeah. a doctorate. And I may, I may do a doctorate of educational leadership or something down the line yeah. uh, or a doctorate of leadership, but I don't think in respect to ministry, especially worship ministry, I'm not going to do a PhD in ministry uh, to be a worship pastor. Yeah. And, and, and I think kind of, well, I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll talk about, cause I know for those who, for those who know, and we've mentioned it on our show, like Mike and I are both church of God ordained church of God ministers and kind of the early days of the church of God, they had this belief that if you feel called by God and you want to be a preacher, whether you're a man or a woman, you can go and preach. So for some of you here, Micah say, Oh yeah, my dad just has, a high school diploma and a certification of ordination, you're probably thinking, oh, well, that's interesting, but that's how they did things. I mean, probably in the early church guy, they probably didn't have certificates of ordination that I I don't think so. It's like, oh, you feel called to preach? Well, then, hey, go preach. Like, there you go. Um, it was always a camp meeting. Wasn't it, Scott? Yeah. It was always a camp meeting. And I... And one of the things I want to bring up about that is one thing I do know about your dad is that he does go to events. He does go to camp meeting. He anytime when there's like a church of God round table or church of God 
national conference or if they had like camp meeting, he'd be there or he'd go to there if he could. And in some ways, that's kind of in some ways, kind of like a continual education. In some ways, you're hearing from people. Um, maybe you go to a couple leadership conferences, those sort of things. Um, so there is some things that pastors can do to kind of get education without getting like, you know, deep down theological education of understanding Greek and Hebrew and all that stuff. I know when I went through the ordination process, they asked me if I was going to pursue seminary. I said, yeah, I'm in the process of getting my master's degree. Um, and they kind of said, okay, well, you know, you're good then. You just got to have a mentoring pastor and maybe read a couple books on Church of God theology. And that's it, because I wasn't going to like a third Church of God seminary. At the same time, for those who weren't going to, they required them to go to seminary anyway, not to get, get a full degree, but basically we want you to take classes in church history. We want you to take at least a Old Testament class and a New Testament class and at least an exegesis class. And that was kind of it for, you know, five, I think maybe it was like five classes they had to take those. And then, of course, you know, you take some Church of God stuff. But for the most part, like that was what they had to do as requirement if they want to get ordained. Um, and at least that's just Church of God. I know talking with a lady here who helps me with children's ministry, she's going to a seminary. She's actually from Iowa. And for her, like if you want to be a pastor, you have to go to seminary because that's where your, or your ordination is tied up through a Lutheran seminary. So if you want to go to ordained, you have to go to a Lutheran seminary and then go through and get your master's and whatever. And that's how you get your ordination. What did, uh, did you do an MDiv? I did do an MDiv. Yes. Okay. So kind of like to, to, you know, pick it back up what you just said. Like mm -hmm. I remember being in seminary at Anderson church of God school and having the conversation with some of my professors about ordination slash, um, you know, seminary and getting both and like having a, a tract where like, okay, if I'm going through seminary and I want to get a degree in seminary and also want to be ordained. And by the time I'm done with this, I should be ordained and get my seminary degree. There should be that kind of track. And, and the majority of the professors that I talked to agreed with that. Right. But then there was also the, the sentiment of like, okay, what if I don't want to be an ordained pastor when I walk out of here? Maybe I just want to be a chaplain. Maybe I just want to do uh, teaching in a you know at a collegiate level and or, or continue my education even more and get a PhD, like you're doing, Scott. But like, uh, you know, the choice should have been there. But like to to your point, Scott, like she, the, the person you're talking about or referencing, you know, they have that in place. Church of God doesn't. So it's either you get ordained, you get ordained if you want to get ordained. You can go to seminary if you want to go to seminary. Guess what? Ordain's free, right? There's, I mean, it's not free now because leadership focus is is mainly the hub, and I teach for that. But like, even then, it's a fraction of the cost of what seminary would cost. And so, uh, the idea of education, you know, if if push came to shove and it's two thousand twenty two, I'm not going to go further into debt if I don't have to, and get you know, if I can get the same kind of borderline base information where I can get that information to be an ordained pastor within the church that I'm affiliated with. And why wouldn't I go through the ordination track versus spending, I don't know how much ever, however much seminary costs these days. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, yeah. um, I did both. You've did both. You've done both. Um, you're still doing it, but like, it's a tad bit frustrating because those things aren't in place. 
Yeah. And, and I think, and you bring up a very good point because especially like with seminary education and even, um, one of my professors who's now the dean of the university that I'm at, he even said, you know, how do you how do you encourage somebody who wants to get their masters of divinity in black church studies or chaplaincy or or even just doing church ministry when you're paying, let's say you're paying eighty thousand dollars for your whole entire four years of your master's program, eighty thousand dollars. But then yet the average salary of a pastor is like 35,000. Right. You know, I mean, and that was the thing, like, even like when my wife was going to law school, that was the thing. It's like, you know, yeah, you're paying all this money to go to law school, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. But then yet if you graduate and you get a job and you start doing legal, you're quickly going to be paying that off within like the next five years, or at least that's what they promised them until the 2008 recession happened and all the legal jobs dried up and then no one was getting a legal job. And there was actually well, some students who started exactly. suing their universities. There were some schools, people who were students because it's like, well, you promised us that after we graduate, we would go in because that was kind of how it worked. It was a revolving door. People retired, more law students come in place. And that was how it, it was. And then it's not anymore. After 2008, it's not that. And and especially like now with, with my doctorate, like luckily there's been some donors who have been offering scholarships for people. And, and even uh, Dr. Byron, which, you know, he's sick. He couldn't be here to be on this podcast. He was sick. But he even talked about how like, you know, there's always been like this pendulum shift before everyone's coming to seminary. And no one wants to come to seminary. And now we're starting to see that pendulum shift back in the seminary education because it is starting to become more affordable to go to seminary. And like, I think once I'm done with my doctorate, realistically, it's going to be less than, it's going to be less than at least $18,000 for my doctorate. And a lot of that's because of there's some, educational things that were in place some scholarships that were in place. Uh, there was some other scholarships that happened. And then of course, since they're affiliated with the main campus of Ashland university, Ashland university got some grant money to be able to help pass it around. And then Ashland theological seminary also got a Lilly grant to be able to help do some more leadership things. And then that's going to kind of help cut the cost too. And, and really with Ashland, like besides like, church studies and and everything else our biggest our biggest draw for the master's program is its christian counseling program probably a really good one in the state of ohio which is what i got my master's in in pastoral counseling but they have a clinical counseling program is really good and it has at least 60 students in that program which is great for a small seminary yeah and you know it's it's crazy to think about the cost of education in general. And so like, you know, I think Scott, you talked about it before we started recording today, but like there are certain churches that have certain expectations when they want to hire an elite pastor mm-hmm. or any pastor yeah. on their staff. Um, and some of those are realistic. Some of those are unrealistic because not everybody can afford or even want to go get a doctor because like, you know, uh, God's honest truth. When I moved back to Ohio in 2016, I had to take 
education off of my resume so that I could get hired with entry level jobs. Nobody wants to look at somebody with a master's degree mm-hmm. or seminary degree or, you know, certificates in leadership and things like that, because it's not appealing to what the job is asking. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's Those funny. Too because, yeah. And that's funny too, because it wasn't always like that. There was a time where I can remember being on staff and there's a guy who was a pastor. He was even talking about how, you know, he was kind of getting out of ministry and going to something else. And it says, you know, it doesn't matter if you get your master's in like theology, because sure. if you decide, hey, I want to go and work in pharmacy, and you want to be and you want to work at CVS and be a farm a pharmacy tech, yeah, there's going to be a but they'll look and say, Oh, you have a master's degree in theology. Okay, that's not the same field. It's not biology, it's not medicine, but we do know that you have the smarts and the education to be trained so we can retrain you to do be a farm tech at like Kroger or CVS or something. And now it's not so much like that anymore. Um, so now it's like, well, you have to now negate some things because you have to, because people see that and they get intimidated or it's like, oh, the person's hiring you probably has, doesn't even have a bachelor's degree. They just, you know, they got in at an entry level busted their butt off, worked hard, made their up up the rank, and now they're going to have to hire somebody who is more educated than them. Yeah, and and like... I mean, more book smart. Reason- and let's just say educated by book smart, not necessarily, um, not necessarily that they don't know, that they will know everything about the organization or how things run, because obviously that person who busted their butt up probably knows more about that company inside and out than someone who's coming in with a degree. Yeah. Well, and, and you said that right before we started recording as well, is that like you, you know, you said that, you know, the reality is that some people like will graduate high school, go to undergrad, go to grad school, get a doctorate. And they spent the last 30 years of their life in school and never really had a real job. And they don't have any of that personal experience that goes along with working in the workforce. And then they don't know what to do because they don't have that experience. And mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm a firm believer in like kind of the balance between the two where you could just you know, work and go to school and work and go to school and go to school and work and uh, have that experience both hand in hand uh, is more beneficial, in my opinion, than just going to school and going to school and going to school. And I think I learned it the hard way because when I was in seminary, I was like, you know, I'm just going to go get a full time job and do this while I'm in seminary. Uh, but uh, one of the great things, too is that part of the reason I'm pursuing a, another master's program now in Miami is because uh, Miami offers tuition waivers to its employees. Mm-hmm. So like literally uh, I can go to school. My wife can go to school. If we have children, they can go to school. Um, and I did the math and you said, what did you say yours was your PhD? 18 it's grand. Gonna be less than, it's going to be less than 20 with all the scholarships that I have. Sure. So like, I was doing the math. So my, my master's program is, uh, is 10, 10 classes. And with the tuition waiver, I pay about 18 or $180 a class. Mm. So when it's all said and done, I'll pay. Cause we have to pay the, like the instructor fees and the, uh, just like the general fees to go along with it. Literally like everything else is covered. But like, I just did the math while we were talking about yours and it's only going to cost me $1,800 when it's all said and done. And I'm paying that out of pocket as I go, right? So, like, I'm not doing mm-hmm. student loans this time. I'm not, you know, getting grants and scholarships. I'm literally just paying for the classes out of pocket. So, like, uh, when I did my ordination thing, it was kind of the same deal. Um, some I know some pastors 
the churches that they work for will pay for their ordination. But I paid for mine out of my pocket. And I think it was like 1500 bucks or something like that. It was like mm. six classes and you do the math, but it was only, it was like 1500 to $2,000 or something like that when it was all said and done. But uh, education is always not, education isn't always that affordable. And so, um, you know, we, you know, constantly have that, have to battle that. And I think it's a generational thing because we've talked about that in other episodes, but like education, our parents always told us, you got to get your education. You got to get a degree. You got to get out there and, you know, make a name for yourself. But like, realistically, Scott, like, like you said, churches aren't going to pay just because I have a PhD or have a master's of divinity. And like, the the crude reality is that like you're going to go and like get a job where you can find a job right whatever whatever door god decides to open for you uh in your ministry it it's the reality is you're gonna have to get where you can find a job and that may not always mean hey i'm gonna get a phd in ministry it doesn't mean i'm gonna get the job in ministry i mean i may have to go find another job and do one of those jobs open up right mm-hmm. yeah yeah, it's I don't know. It's I don't know if I'm making a lot of sense, but it's just, um, you know, education is a great thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but like mm-hmm. it's not in reference to being uh, in the workforce, uh, specifically in ministry. Right. Like you don't have to have an MDiv to be a children's pastor. You don't have to have a master's of theological studies. You don't have to. Uh, it, whatever right it's just it's kind of like it's misleading is what i'm getting at yeah well and i think well i think it also depends on yeah i like and again i think it depends on you know for me and i just talk about my story you know i went to i went to do through my master's program because i thought not because i was forced to by my parents or anything else but for me it was just more like this is something i want to do sure for me, and it I was something I wanted to do. And I mean, and I felt called and I felt called to do that. Um, sure. And I know some people may not feel called to do that. Um, you know, some people may, you know, you could have someone who may have been in a biker gang for many, many years, uh, found Jesus, got clean, decides, wants to be a minister, get ordained and preach the word of God and has no seminary education whatsoever. And, you know, if God's choosing them to do that, then that's great. Like, I don't have an issue yeah. with that. Um, where I kind of, where I kind of do question a little bit is, you know, how much of that person, how much of, through that person getting ordained to be a pastor, um, what are they going to do with that? What are they going to do with that? And not only that, but what skills through that ordination process are they going to have to be better equipped to proclaim God's word in a very authentic way and make sure that it's not being proof text all the time. And I think that's kind of more the trigger thing, because there's a lot of times where I've been at places where literally people tell me, oh, yeah, it says this in the Bible. And I sit there and I stare at them and I go, can you please show me where? And then we'll look and they can't find it. And they go, well, I can't find it in the Bible. And I'm like, because it's not in there. Yeah. So whatever told whoever told you this and you thought and whether it was a misinterpretation on their part, like they thought that this person was quoting scripture or. However, like that's a big deal because at the end of the day, it has to be about Jesus and preaching about Jesus and making sure that the gospel is being communicated correctly. And if we're not doing that and the name of Jesus is not being mentioned, 
which that's another story for another time. But that that's going to affect the people that you're serving. That's yeah. going to affect the people that you are really trying to shepherd to have a closer relationship with God. And yet you don't have the education to be able to do that effectively. Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a fine line. And like I said before, education doesn't mean everything. Right. Yeah. And so um, you do need to have some sort of training in my opinion to, to do anything in life. You can't just go about life and not have any formal training whatsoever. But like, like you said, at the top of the episode, it's got like people that are lead pastors, teaching pastors and things like that. Like there should be, there should, should be a certain expectation that goes along with, with that role, mm-hmm. including education, whether it's an MDiv, uh, you know, doctorate of ministry, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you want to be, you, you should want to be educated and you should want to like hone your craft and be better because of the position and the high calling that goes along with that position um, as lead pastor. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting conversation for sure, because like, I'm waving at your wife. She just peered behind the window. Speaking of, speaking of Halloween decorations. Oh, now, like you saying your wife is a Halloween like, decoration? Uh, say, like the, the things you were talking about earlier, you're talking about how like you have like this, the, the people have like the figurines in their yards with like the blow up. But, like <laughs> she like the way that she was waving in the back, just for your listeners. Uh, my wife just got home from work and she opened up the garage door with the remote on our front porch and we're on a zoom call right now. And she, she waved in from behind on the window and I didn't see her and Scott did. And so she was kind of video. If you watch the video on YouTube, just find us on YouTube and you will see Alicia waving in the background during this part. But for those who have the audio, you're just going to have to use your imagination, which you don't need an education for that. No, no, you don't. Just sit playing oh. with you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know, goodness. Scott. Does that makes sense. Like, yeah. as, as we kind of wrap up, like, it's just, it's, it's kind of a strange phenomenon. Like, I, I don't think that education is everything, but it's something, right? It is. And for those mm-hmm. that want to do it, that's great. And like, even like the most educated of people, you know, aren't gifted and anointed to, you know, to a certain respect by God to to preach and proclaim the word they may be better at mm-hmm. teaching at a per, yeah. you know university in a seminary like it's a it's a it's a strange thing like i i know people that i think would be better professors at colleges than i would lead pastors and yet they're lead pastors and then there are people that are lead pastors that i think would be better you know in the opposite role so like yeah. it's just i don't know you got to find your calling and stick with it and if you want to be educated go get educated but if not you know don't (laughs) yeah and and i think and i think sometimes it might be even wise for those who may be like well i don't want to spend the money or the or whatever to do that like there's a lot of great resources i mean and i mean i know with ashland and again here's me doing my promo my promo for ashland theological seminary but as a alumni class of 2025 (laughs) but as an alumni one thing that they do offer for all of their um, alumni is that you can access the databases. You can access any of their religious databases anytime you want. And if you want to, you can audit a class 
one class every semester for free. You can just go say, I want to audit this class and you do it and it costs you nothing. Now, again, and that's until I die, unless they change your policy. But for the most part, like I can do that anytime I want, if I wanted to. And, and that can serve yeah, as continuing. I mean, and I think even if for those of you, have, you know, in your dominate who have whatever denomination you're part of, you know, look around, there might be some universities that are affiliated that may, they may offer something. Oh, you're a pastor here. Yeah. You can audit this class for free. Or there may be certain times where they say, Hey, there's a specific class. Like I know one time uh, the school of theology had a audit for pastors where you could just go and sit through a church of God history course at the, at the SOT for free. You just ought to sign up and say you're a pastor and hit a couple pull down menus, hit a couple buttons and bada bing, you're in like, so, you know, for those of you who are pastors, don't feel like, oh, man, I can't afford or maybe you're a pastor of a small church. I can't afford to go to seminary and I don't want to take out debt. Hey, I hear you. Don't do that. But go ahead and check with your denomination. Maybe there's something that you can do. Maybe there is like a maybe there is a class where you could take a class on like an Old Testament or a New Testament book. And that can be free or reduced cost to you because you're just kind of auditing it and just want to get that education without having to pursue a degree. So. There's a lot of options for you out there to um, continue to advance your education, to sharpen your skills as a minister of God's word. I know that um, the Presbyterian Church here in town where we live on a Jason Vance is the lead pastor there. They they offer, the Presbyterian Church, the PCUSA, offers um, similar to like Church of God with uh, you know, the national conferences and stuff and the state conferences. He takes his elders to uh, to their their state conference every year or their national conference every year, and they have breakout classes that are offered for free during their their conferences um, to help. Like, and he takes his elders every year so that they can you know get educated as elders um, and as leaders of the local church. And you know, I think they have to pay a registration fee or something like that to get into the conference itself. But as far as the classes are concerned, they can pick. And choose what classes and sessions they want to go to when it's absolutely included with the conference. And so if it's like 50 bucks or whatever, like if you're at a five day conference, that's ten dollars a day. <laughs> and it's like next to nothing is, you know, in reference to continuing your education or, you know, educating your leaders of your church. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think with that, we'll just go ahead and kind of close that out. Now so, that we've been all over the place with this episode. We've been all over the map. We've been all over the map with education. But friends, let and Halloween decorations. And Halloween decorations. <laughs> I will be scared if you put some strings around Alicia and you just like hammer her outside her front lawn and she becomes the Halloween decoration, just waving to the kids. I'll have to let her know that she was a she's been a prop in this episode. Okay, you know that now she's got to stop listening to Mars Hill and has to listen to this episode. <laughs> Mark Driscoll or Scott Stubbin, I don't know. Both awful people. <laughs> uh, I don't think you have narcissists before or after your name. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, on that note, I'm Scott. That's what he was this described is my as. Show. I'm a narcissist. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> no, but seriously, thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend, and we'll be back on with the new episode once I get all my giggles out.
Take care. Bye.